Yo, this is Pastor Teeter here, welcoming you to another episode of my revolutionary podcast where I am here to help you find faith in Christ and help you follow through with your life. And so we have been on a crazy journey this whole year, right, 2020, and in the last uh, real quarter, right, last three and a half months or so, we have been focusing on the book of Revelation, and today we get to the end of the end, all right, and I, I wanted to take a different approach. And so as we are going to look at the final last two chapters of the book of Revelation, we're going to start to kind of see the whole big idea. What is the big purpose? What is the big takeaway of this whole message that Jesus wanted the church both now and then to understand until the end comes? So let's go ahead and we're going to take a different approach this Sunday. So let's go ahead and do it. Right now, as we're going to open up God's Word, we have been looking at the book of Revelation, right? And today is the end of the end, all right? So if you just got here, I'm like, oh, man, I missed it. Yeah, it's been like three and a half months, but it's okay. We got it all online. You can check it out. But today we're wrapping up the book of Revelation, and I want to do something a little different, a little unique, being that it's the last one. We've been at this for three and a half months, if you can believe it. And so one thing that we're going to do, now that we get at the end, because, man, that's a lot. I was trying to process as I'm praying I'm like, man, that's a lot of sermons for you guys to process, right? Three and a half months to remember anything in three and a half months is going to be a little difficult. And so that's why I've been always saying that, listen, the big point of revelation is understanding a greater revelation of Jesus, right? That is the point. The book of Revelation is to give us a greater revelation of Jesus, who he is, what he does, what he is supposed to do, and how we are to follow him. All of that is in there. But obviously we see how the end will be and how he's orchestrating that. So it shows that God is above our circumstances. God is above everything else. Though things may look like they're out of control, God has not slipped. We have not slipped through his fingers. And so that was encouraging. But at the same time as we look right now, because we're going to look at the last two chapters of Revelation. And we're going to look at the end, 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 end. Okay, so now we're going to look at the very, very end of not only the book, but the end of what time will be. And it makes me, it makes me wonder, and I, this question, I'm pretty sure some of you guys might have it, and you might not ask this question, but I, but I think deep down you are. It's, okay, all right, pastor, I'll get it. We see what the end is going to look like. Sounds great. I'm good. But what about today, though? Right? The end sounds great. I, I can't wait for that, right? But, but what about now? Uh, what are we going to do now? What do we do until the end, right? That should be a good question, I think, to, to ask. And one, I was like, all right, that's all fine and dandy, but now what? Now what? And then why would God leave this vague-ish, vague-ish? Because, man, we got some clarity about the end, but then what about, what do we do now? And it, it, it made me wonder, I was like, all right, because here the, the Christians that received this message 2,000 years ago were going through it. Some of them were wondering, did God come back or not? I mean, hey, it's been like a couple of decades all right, since Jesus said he was coming back, since he took off, it's been like, you know, a few decades now. When is he coming? Rome is increasing its power and, and its pressure on the church. Is this what it's supposed to look like? What do we do? And then God brings this message to both them and to us and so helps us. And he, again, he brought, again, what to, he didn't bring a sense of clarity-ish. He did when we look at the seven letters, what to do now and what to do at the end. But then why is God so detailed about the end? This is, I think this, this makes sense to me. I think it would make sense to you. Because, see, and I know you know this to be true. Uncertainty creates 
anxiety, right? Think about that. Is anybody with me on that online? Uncertainty creates anxiety. If you don't know what's going to happen, it's like, okay, I don't know. Let's get them. Right? Uncertainty creates anxiety. I think that's the biggest thing that we're all feeling right now, especially with the election, right? The uncertainty of who's going to be elected. I'm like, oh, no, what happens if it's the other person? What happens if it's the other person? Right? That sense of uncertainty about even the election and election results, that causes anxiety. That's anything. Right? You don't know what's going to happen here. What about that? What about my kids? They're growing up. You know, are they going to make it? What about this? What, am I going to be the one who's going to get sick next? Right? The sense of anxiety because it comes from lack of clarity. Right? Am I going to get next? <clears throat> oh, oh, no. Jesus, no. Not today. Not me. No. Don't let it go down like this. Right? And so all of those things. And so what does Jesus do? He gives us a sense of clarity about the end. Why? Why so detailed about the end? Because, again, when you know how the end is going to end, then in the middle, it, it, it does help. Imagine, let's say you go watch a movie, and you start watching a movie by first watching the last 20 minutes. Okay? You go to read a book, and you're going to start by reading the final three chapters of a book before you start. Is that going to impact how you read and watch the rest of the movie? Yes or no? It's going to happen. How many of you love to rewatch really good movies? Anybody? Right? I'm pretty sure you love to, hey, share online, which is your favorite one you love to rewatch constantly, okay? So, and then we'll judge you later. Um, and so, right, we love to, I love to rewatch movies, but think about it. When you rewatch a movie, emotionally, do you feel the same way when you first saw it? Yeah, right? There's elements that you do, right? Because it, but then it perfectly never, it's never the same. Because when you're watching a movie, when you're reading a book, it's like, oh no, are they going to break up? Oh no, you know, what's going to happen now? Is this person going to die? Oh my gosh, this person died. What's next? What's going to happen next? Because you're watching all of this unfolding in front of you, so you're reacting emotionally in a kind of way. But then when you watch the movie again, right, you're like, oh, no, that person's, that person's not going to die. He's fine. Right? But it's still fun. The movie's still good. But you know, oh, he's not going to die. It's going to be okay. All right, I'm good. I can just relax. Well, guys, that's what God did. He, he pulled back the curtain of time to show us how it's going to end. He gave us a sense of clarity so that we can have confidence in the moment. You see that? That's what this is all for. As we see how things are going to end, it gives us a sense of confidence knowing, oh, man, that's what happened? Uh, you know what? But I know how it's going to end. So it gives us that confidence to face even when things don't go our way. You guys see that? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to dive right in because I believe that God gave us a glimpse of the end to help us to learn to begin to live today until then. So I'm going to do this a little different today. If you actually have your Bibles, I, I put it online a lot, but uh, on the screen, which we're going to do that. But I think it would be cool to end the book of Revelation by reading the final two chapters together. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to do some corporate reading of the Bible. We're going to read Revelations chapter 21. And 22, probably the easiest verses to find in the Bible because you just got to go to the end and just kind of backtrack a little bit. Okay, that's it. All right, this is super easy. So we're going to read chapters 21 and 22 together. And there's a few moments that I'm going to stop, kind of bring a little clarity, and we'll just keep going. We're going to read two chapters this morning. So you can read uh, to yourself. Read if, if you have the book in front of you. So here we go. Let's dive right in. Chapter 21 is going to focus on the hope for tomorrow. John says... Then I saw, we're going to read verse 1 and 2. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, 
the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her, her husband. So, guys, I want you to know, we've been looking, last week we ended the wrath of God, right? We've been looking at chapter 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, and all of the wrath of God that we were seeing was the perspective of non-believers as Jesus is coming in on that rider on a white horse and all of that, all of the plagues and, and, the, and the wrath of God that we saw, that was John seeing Jesus' return through the eyes of a non-believer. What's going to happen to them? Well, chapter 21 is the perspective of the bride. I really believe both events are happening at the same time. As Jesus is riding into victory, the, the enemy, you know, the enemy, the devil, demons, and non-believers are going to see one thing. Yet John right now is seeing what we're going to see. We see as Jesus is riding in, he is ushering in a new age. And this is now the perspective. What we're going to see from here on out is the perspective of the bride, perspective of believers. This, we are, we're not going to see what we just saw as we've been reading. We're not going to see the wrath of God. We're going to see this. We're going to see a new heaven, a new earth, passed away, meaning in the same way, passed away, it is dead. God has brought an end to something and a beginning to something else. That means that earth, the way it is, will be like it, but it won't be like it. Earth is going to be different, and heaven is going to be different. Heaven in the future won't be how heaven is right now. It's all going to be brand new, and none of us know what it's going to be like until we show up, okay, until it happens. And so the one thing that, that was interesting when he says, and there was no more seas, right? Seas in the Bible speak of chaos. Look at how Genesis, look at the, the very beginning of the Bible, we see the spirit of the living water hovering over the seas, and it was like a spiritual sea. It was this formless void of chaos and just, you know, just nothingness. And at the beginning of the Bible, there's just only seas. At the end, no seas. Doesn't mean that there's no oceans. You know, John, I know you like to go fishing and boating. You know, I think, I think God will you know, put a lake in your backyard. I think he'd be all right with that. But it just means that there's no chaos. That's what, we're, that's what John is seeing. Let's keep going. Now verse 3 and 4. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Say, look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. I love that, the will, will. This is future tense, guaranteed. Oh, this is probably one of the people's favorite verses in the Bible. Look at verse 4. And he will. Say that word, he will. He will. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, pain will be no more because the previous things have what? Passed away. In this new age that God is going to bring, two beautiful things are going to happen. Number one, his dwelling place will be with us, meaning we will have a perfect, unbroken relationship with God. Not like now where, yes, we have it, but it's, it's, you know, it's vague. It's, it's, we see things in part, right? But we're going to get to a point that there's no more guessing, no more wondering, no, we're going to see him. We're going to hear him in a way that we can never have imagined before. Unbroken forever. And then that verse, man, who, know, who doesn't love that one? Who say, he will wipe away every tear. What that means is not that we're going to, I think I'm going to be boohooing when I see him. I'm going I'm to boohoo or pass out, one of the two. I don't know. That's just when I see him for the first time. And so it doesn't mean that God's going to be like, all right, yo, calmate, you know, chill. You know, he's not, I don't think he's going like, to be like that. When he says he's going to wipe away every tear, meaning God is going to wipe away all of the negative impacts of sin and death in your life. Listen, we've all had those moments in our past when we look back and we remember those moments and we're like, it kind of still hurts, doesn't it? It still hurts. 
Maybe that, that relative that is no longer with you, and, and it, it hurts you to know that they're still, you, you can't be with them, right? Maybe that, that mistake that you made that you're still paying for, right? That, that opportunity that, oh my gosh, what I did and said, that, that moment, that screw, I can't believe that's a part of my history. When I think about it, it hurts. Well, God is saying, listen, all of the negative effects of that is going to be gone. And you guys, you know that in heaven, we're going to remember our life on earth? Do you know that? In heaven, we're going to remember our life on earth. But yet, when we look back at our life on earth, we're not, when we look at all these things, we're not going to see and think about the regrets and everything we went wrong. God is going to wipe it all away. It's gone. So all the tears that you shed when the Rays lost game six, it's gone. Don't worry about it. It's going to sting. For a, it's still going to sting. Still does. But you're not going to remember that. It's God is going to wipe it all away. Who's, who can't wait for that moment? All right? Who can't wait for that moment? I love it. All right, let's keep going. Verse 5 and 8. Then the one seated on the throne says, look, I am, oh, guys, come on, look at this. Say that word with me. Say making. This is present tense. Jesus is saying, though the God, the spirit of the living God is saying, I am making everything new right now. And then he also said, right, because these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. Like, look, exclamation point. It's done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the, of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things. I will be his God and he will be my son. But the cowards, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Notice that when God says, I think it's an interesting phrase, the grammar that Jesus uses, that the Spirit uses. He says, hey, I'm making all things new. And then he says, oh, by the way, it's also, it's done. I'm like, wait, are you making it new or is it done? Like, which is, which is it? All right, because one is a present tense, complete statement. The other one is a, you know, present progressive statement. It's happening, yet it's done. See, God is saying, listen, right now, you might not see it, you might not know it. But I'm all, right now, I am working and doing this. I am making things new right now. I am not, you know, God's not just waiting and be like, all right, hold on, my, my time's not up. Hold on, not yet, not yet, not yet, you know. He ain't like that. He is actively doing things right now to bring us to this end. He is making things new. But then that statement when he says, it is done, he is mimicking even the angel. The angel that poured out the wrath of God in bowl number seven, threw it up in the air, and he said, it is done. Same phrase, and so look, when the, wrath, when, the, when the enemies or the unbelievers hear it is done, it's over, okay? But we're going to hear a different, it's done, it's, it's over. Now Now it's, we're going to get started, right? And so I love that statement because it's almost like God is saying, listen, I've already put things in motion. Oh, and by the way, yeah, it's done. It's going to happen. You can't stop it, you know? So I thought that was an interesting phrase, but then we see God talk about conquerors and cowards, he says here for the conquerors, and if you guys have been with us, you guys know when we've been reading chapters um, two and three of the seven books of written to the seven letters, what did Jesus tell all of those churches? If the one who conquers will get, the one who conquers will get, the one who conquers will, every single one. And what does it mean to be conquered? Just to remember, it doesn't mean that we are fighting the enemy on our own. Because in Revelation 12, he says, and they conquered the devil by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And so we conquer the enemy, by being conquered by Christ, by his love and his mercy. We conquer the enemy when we conquer temptation by the power and by the spirit of God and when we walk with God. 
because it is he in us that gives us and produces that victory. And so he says, those who conquer, this is who you are. Again, really, those who conquer are the ones who trust in Jesus. And it's interesting that Jesus, out of this list of sinners, he starts with the word coward. The cowards and the blank, 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 blank. Why cowards first? Because cowards are those who are afraid. They care more about the fear of, God, the fear of man than the fear of God. Cowards are the one who, I don't know, I think I might want to trust in Jesus, but I don't know, I don't think I can trust him. There's a sense of fear in trusting in God, either from anyone else. And so he's like saying, no, this is the point, guys. On, the only sin that God can't forgive is the one that you don't ask him to forgive. That's it. The only sinner that God can't save is the one that doesn't want to be saved. But those who trust in God, he will make it happen. And so let's keep reading, 9, nine and 14. We're going to read a chunk now. The one of the seven angels who had held the seven bowls filled with the seven of the last plagues, we talked about him, came and spoke with me. says, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. He then carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, arranged with God's glory. Her radiance was like a precious jewel, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. The city had a massive high wall with 12 gates. 12 angels were at the gates, and the names of the 12 tribes of Israel's sons were inscribed on the gates. There were three gates on the east, three gates to the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. The city wall had 12 foundations, and the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb were on the foundations. And so, really quick, I want you guys to see, John is seeing a unique duality here. Heaven is a place and a people. The new Jerusalem that he's seeing is both a city and the very people of God. It's both. It's this kind of like duality, spiritual, physical, all mixed in together. That's what he's seeing. He's not just seeing a, a social structure. He's not seeing a structure, like engineering structure coming out of heaven. It is all of it. It is a place and a people. And now look, look even the details that he goes into in verse 15 and 21. The one who spoke to me says this, let's read verse 15, if we can put it for everybody and follow along on the screen. The one who spoke with me had a golden measuring rod to measure the city and its gates. We're on verse 15, now 16. The city laid out in a, what shape is that? Square. In its length and width are all the same. He measured the city with a rod of 12,000 stadiers. In this case, it's uh, meaning 1,400 miles, 1,400 miles. Its length, width, and height, the 11th, Jasonith, the 12th, Ammonith, the, tw the 12 gates were all 12 pearls. Each individual gate was made of a single pearl. The main street, finally, of the city of God was a pure gold, transparent as glass. I have no clue if I said all of those jewels correctly, by the way, okay? So the preacher, the preacher trick is if you read something in the Bible and you don't know how to pronounce it, just read it really fast. All right? That's, that's, that's the goal. That's what we do. That's what we do. But anyways, doesn't that, what, you, what you're seeing, you know what you're seeing is God's crown jewel. When you think of a king, right? You ever seen a king with a crown on and the king, the, the crown's adorned, right? With jewels and this and that. So in essence, what J John is seeing coming out and coming down and being created he is seeing God's crown jewel of recreation. Because at the very beginning of Genesis, we have creation. God makes everything out of nothing. And mankind in day number six was the crown jewel of that creation. Well, read at the end of the book, God is going to have a recreation where God is going to make all things new out of something. 
God is going to create everything out of something. And the new something is going to be resurrected in nature. Just like Jesus received a resurrected body, you and I are going to receive resurrected bodies. And the earth is going to receive a resurrected, really, reality. Everything is going to be made new like that. We are seeing God's crown jewel of perfection. And you're a part of it. He, he's going to look at you as that. You're a part of it. All right, keep it on. Look at, let's read the rest of 21. I did not see. He's, all, he's been seeing. Look, I see this, I see this, I see this. Look at what he doesn't see now. I don't see a temple in it because the Lord God and the Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need sun or moon to shine on because the glory of God illuminates it. And its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never close by day because it will never be night there. there will, they will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those written in the Lamb's book of life. I think it's interesting for John to notice what he doesn't see. No temple. What does that mean? It means that God is not going to be restricted to one location in heaven. God is going to be illuminated. God will be both somewhere and everywhere at the same time. That is the spirit, just like now. That is, the, so we won't have to worry about, oh, yeah, yeah, I, you know, I got to get a ticket in line for Jesus. And I'm like, all right, well, we got all eternity, so might as well. What are we going to do, right? And so it ain't going to be like that, all right? It's not going to be like that. God will be somewhere and everywhere. We're going to have an unhindered, bro, you know, no, an unhindered relationship with God that will never be broken. And I, I, it's interesting that he says heaven's going to have their door wide open. Wide open. Why? Because there's no threats, right? Why do you go home and lock your doors and put the alarm on? Why do you do that? Because, well, you, 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 you got to go to bed, right? Just in case something happens and you're asleep. Think about it. Heaven, there's going to be you know, doors wide open all the time because there's no threat forever. No threat. God will have handled it all. No more threat. And, that's, and the only people that are going to be there are those that God has redeemed. Now, that's chapter 21 is the hope for tomorrow. Now let's look at the hope that we have for today as we read chapter 22, the last chapter of the Bible, the last chapter of the revelated word that God brings through us. So let's check it out. Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Down the middle of the city's main street, the tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The, lives of the, the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, and there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be, will be in the city, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will give them the light and they will reign forever and ever. This section kind of is acting like a transition from what God was, what John was seeing to what he's now going to see. But again, you see a lot of the, um, of the repetition there, right? A lot of the same things that we're seeing. And what's amazing is that where is this river of life coming from? The throne of God. And in it is the tree of life and all of what is producing these fruits are meant to, for the healing, the pure healing of our nation. And this happens now. We can have access to the throne of God and, and for the healing of our souls. But when we get there, it's going to be the job is going to be done. And you know, Jesus promised in his word, he says, those who believe in me out from themselves will burst forth water, rivers of living water. 
See, where God is enthroned, you are connected now to the source of living water that is in heaven, which is God. When, you are in, when God in, is enthroned in your life, all right, that water, now you just tapped into that source. And so now look at what John is now looking at this perspective. And now let's look at verse 6, 6 and 7. Then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And now look what Jesus now speaks and says. It says, look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecies of this book. Jesus is saying the very thing that John said in chapter 1, verse, you know, chapter one, verse 3, when he says, hey, blessed is the one who reads this and believes it and applies it to their life, right? I know a lot of people are like, oh, I don't want to read Revelation. It's scary. It's scary, right? So, right, I'm going to do that. I'm like, nah, man, don't be scared. He says, no, there's a blessing here. Don't be robbed of this. And now Jesus himself is giving the stamp of approval. Yep, believe him. Those are blessed if you read and believe and apply and, and that this perspective is going to impact you. You will be blessed to know and have that confidence that God gives you because of the clarity that he's bringing. Let's read uh, 8 and 11. I, John, this is John 3.16, that guy. I, John, the apostle. I am the one who heard and saw these things. When I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had shown all of these things to me. But he said to me, no, don't do that. I am your fellow servant with you, your brothers and the prophets, and those who keep the words of this book. Worship God instead. Worship God. And he says, then he said to me, don't seal up the words of this prophecy because the time is near. So let the filthy be filthy. Let the righteous go on into righteousness and let the holy still be holy. So I love that. He's saying, listen, hey, this reaction has led John to realize, wow, I I can't believe God's going to do this for us today, one day. And he he says, hey, man, worship God. Uh, But I love the two applications that the angel says. He says what? Do this, don't do this. Worship God, don't seal the book up. Meaning, hey, worship God and don't keep a secret. Okay? Worship God and don't keep God a secret. That's literally what he's saying. It's like, hey, what was said to you, what you've encountered, what you've received, hey, you got to tell people. Worship God and get to work. Right? That's what he's saying. Don't keep this. It's called the good news, not the good secret. Got it? It's the good news, not the good secret. So I love that. And that just in case that last sentence was weird. What do you mean, let the filthy be filthy? This angel got an attitude. What is that? Let the filthy be filthy, let the righteous go on to righteousness. Listen, here's what he's pretty much saying. I'm going to be fast. When you share the good news of Jesus, there's two responses. I believe it or I don't. That's it. So when he says, let the filthy be filthy, means, hey, don't seal it up. Don't keep it a secret. Tell people. And if people want to keep going on their unbelief, if they're a filthy meaning of sin and they don't want to, then you got to let them. That's their choice. Now, you still say the message. You still call them to repentance, but you can't do that for them. Does that make sense? All you can do is call them. All you can do is encourage them. But if they refuse to believe, then you can't do anything to change it. And so, but we're, that doesn't mean that. I'm like, all right, bro, it's on you. I told you. Jesus, it's on record. You got the receipt, right? I told him yesterday. And so you got to make sure it doesn't matter. You keep, keep, keep going. And so, and that's, that's what that means. And those who, are, who respond continue on into righteousness. And so meaning that they believe. All right, verse 16, 12 and 16. Here we go. Here, Jesus is going to go on a little rant. Check this out. He says it again. Look, I am coming soon. Again, he says it. I'm coming soon. And my reward is with me to repay each person according to his work. Do you know that God is also, God is keeping receipts. All right? He'd be like, okay, the the greater, the more faithful you were, the greater reward you're going to get. We're all going to get to heaven. We're all going to be there. We're all going to be grateful we're going to be there. 
Because you guys remember earth being a square? It means equal. There is going to be perfect equality in heaven. But do you know that not all things will be equal? That there will be some in heaven with more than others because of how faithful they were and that God will reward more than others. But see, in heaven, we're not going to be, oh, I can't believe this guy. Could you believe this guy? Look, look what God gave him. Oh, man. You know, we're not going to be there. Because with those that have little, when we look to those that have a lot, we're going to be like, yo, you deserve that. I'm just glad to be here, okay? I'm just glad to be here, right? I, you know, God got me as a gardener, and I'm, I'm good. I am happy that I'm here and nowhere else. And so that's going to be the reality of heaven. There will be equality, equal love, equal treatment, perfect equality that the world wants. God's going to produce it one day, right? But there won't be pure equality. And we're all going to be cool with it, which is going to be really interesting. We're all going to be buddy buddies. All right, so moving on. He says, I, I'm going to repay the work according to your work. I am the alpha, the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. Outsiders are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters. And here's the key words right here Jesus is going to use. And everyone who does what? Loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to attest to these things to you for the church. I am the root, the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. Listen, the, it's always down to the heart. You love. Some people just love their stuff more than their Savior. Some people just love the idea that I want to do whatever I want and will never allow the love of God to do what he wants to do. It's either, it's either thy will or our will. It's going to be one of the two. And the only ones that, the only reason that keeps you out is God doesn't keep you out. His arms are open. It's if you are willing to, do you value more the love of God or your love and preferences? It's always that. Because God wants everybody in. God wants everybody in. You don't believe me? Look what he's going to say next. Let's read now 17 and 19. Both the spirit of the living God and the bride, meaning the church, Say, say that word. Let's all say it together. Say what? Oh, wait, it's not on the screen. Y'all can't say it. All right, hold on. Let's put it back up. Let's read verse 17. Can we put it up so everybody? All right, I'm like, wait, say what? Okay, both the spirit and the bride say what? Come and let everyone who hears say, let the one who is thirsty come to the one who, come to the one who desires to take the water of life freely. I testify to everyone who hears the words of this prophecy. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this prophecy, God will take away his share of the tree of life and the holy city, which are written about in his book. Whoa, whoa, Okay. Um, a great preacher back in the day, a uh, great British preacher, all right, uh, Dr. Lloyd Martin. I think I got that wrong, but I can't remember. He once said that the most dangerous job in the world is an expositor of the word of God. All right, meaning the, the most dangerous job in the world is, is someone who preaches God's word. If you like to finagle and do this, so I, I understand that. And so here it is, so I'm trying to do my best. But with that, you see, what is this? The spirit of the living God and the church is saying what? Guys, come on, right? To who? To the ones who are outsiders. Like literally, he's saying, guys, the time, if you are hearing these words, it is not over yet. So if you are on the outside, if you love your sin too much, God still loves you. And so the spirit of the living God is saying, come on, guys, come on. 
the time is still, there is still time for repentance, still time to come to Jesus. And the church ought to be the same. We ought to be looking to the world and say, guys, come on, man. Come on, man. Right? We should be doing that, right? And so, all right, some of y'all love that one. All right. Come on, man. Let's go. Come on this way. This is what we need. Only God can make you great again. And there, all right, there we go. I got you that one. And so that's what he's saying. Come on. Come on. Come on. The Spirit is begging, guys, come on this way. And the church should be the same thing. Come on this way. That should be our attitude. That should our response to this. Again, not keeping it a secret, not sealing it up. Now look at how the last two verses end. Last three. No, the last two. He who testifies of these things says what? Yep, I'm coming soon. Three times Jesus is double. He's tripling down on this promise. Yes, I am coming soon. And now what? And let's all say this. Let's say these four words together. Say, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with every one. Amen. Not only are we should be, the spirit and the church should be looking to the world and say, guys, come on, come on. We should be looking to Christ and say, okay, come on. <laughs> Let's give it. Like, in essence, look, we are ready to receive him. We're not like, oh, I hope Jesus don't show up today because my morning was not the best. Okay? Not like that. We ought to be God. Come on, like we just want, we, we ought to be a sense of excitement that I'm not afraid of when Jesus is going to show up. I'm not afraid of encountering him. I can't wait for him to do that. And so God, come on. And oh, by the way, come on, man. Look, he's coming. He's almost here. Let's go. Let's go. Hurry up, man, this year. Come on. Come on. Let's go. Let's go. I was like, whew. All right. That, that should be our attitude is a sense of hope and joy and excitement and urgency. That's what he, that's our attitude. But I love that last statement. John says, and God's grace be with you. Because that is all we need. So listen, you know, when we got to the end, do you know what we see? And if I can get the band to come up, because we're going to see one more song before we leave. I'm going to get the band to come up. When we get to the end of the Bible, do you know what we see? That the end is just the beginning. Do you see that? The end is just the beginning. When we see what God's going to do, the end is just the beginning. We don't have to be afraid of that. In fact, we should be excited about that. And knowing that the end is going to be just the beginning for the positive, that should encourage one another in the faith. And we ought to encourage each other and those that are not, there, it's going to be the beginning of the end for them. And so, but the, the end, when we see the end, it is just the beginning. And here's the big application if we can walk away with anything. Knowing that in the end is just the beginning. We need to do what D.L. Moody once said, a great evangelist preacher said, don't do this. There's a lot of Christians who are very heavenly minded and of no earthly good. You hear that? D.L. Moody once said, there are Christians who are heavenly minded, yet no earthly good. They're, yeah, I can't wait to go to heaven. Yeah, I got my relationship with God. Yet they're doing nothing to produce any more fruit, nothing to expand the kingdom. Listen, we ought to be heavenly minded and of earthly good. Knowing the clarity that we have of what we have in Christ and what we will have in Christ should lead us to be of earthly good. To calling us, guys, come on this way. Come this way. When we see those who are down and out with no hope, we say, okay, you've been down that road. You know what that's going to look like. Come this way. Trust in Christ. Come this way. That should be our attitude. That we ought to be a heavenly minded and of earthly good. Because as God loves us, we are loving others. That's what Jesus commanded us on the night that he did communion. Love others as I have loved you. That is what he's called to do. Be heavenly minded and of earthly good. Knowing that in the end, man, it's just the beginning. And, and until then, we got to continue to do that and walk with God. And I want you to know, the grace of God, what John said, the grace of God is all we need. 
the grace of God is all we need. In the end, the grace of God, regardless. Because you know what the early church that heard this message? They had a Caesar that was a wicked guy. This church, the early church that heard first this message did not have politicians in positions of power. They did not have Caesar, the Senate. They had nothing. All they had was the grace of God and they turned the world upside down. And I say that because for us to be able to make a difference in this world, we don't need a president because we got a king. We don't need a president because we have a king. Now, I'm not saying don't vote, don't do that. No, no, no. You know, be, you got to be engaged, right? You got to be engaged. But in the end, if the guy that, you know, is got voted in that is not what you wanted, you still got the king and no one can impeach Jesus, okay? This is it. We have a king. That is what matters ultimately more. And that king is reigning right now. That king is returning. And we know that in the end is just the beginning. And when you get to the end of yourself, Jesus said, blessed is the one who is poor in spirit. Blessed is the one who gets to the end of, them, the end of themselves because that's when you begin to experience God. And we're going to sing that song today. And that's what I want to lead all of you into right now. We're going to sing a song as here as in heaven, which speaks of this duality. Lord, let your kingdom come, your, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it starts with me. It starts with me. And so if you are at the end of your strength, you're going to begin to experience the all-powerful nature of God. If you are at the end of your patience, you are going to experience the great kindness of God. If you are at the end of your hope, that's when you're going to begin to experience the hopefulness that we have in Christ. And so if you've ever gotten to the end of a relationship, what am I going to do now? If you ever got to the end of a stage in life, what am I going to do now? If you're at the end of something, you don't know what to do, turn to Christ. Because when you, that is, I believe it, that when we get to the end of ourselves, we learn to begin to live in Christ for the first time. That's what we have in Jesus. And so the same hope that will heal us one day is here to heal us even today. Yo, the end is just the beginning. All right, I want to encourage you that. So as we see the end of end, right, the end end of your life, the end of the world, that's just the beginning for those of us in Christ Jesus of a better tomorrow, right? Because heaven is going to be everything that we love in this world that is pure. Because look, let's be honest, some of us love stuff that we shouldn't be. But everything in heaven is going to be everything that is truly good in this world, amplified by infinity, yet without fear of it getting worse. That's heaven. Yet hell, hell is the complete opposite. It's everything we hate and everything that is wicked about this world, amplified by infinity with no hope of it getting any better. So I want to encourage you guys that no matter what we know that in the end, the Lord wins. In the end, we have that confidence despite the uncertainty that today may bring. We know and we have that confidence in Christ of the clarity of who he is, the clarity of that Christ is the reigning and returning king. And that should cause you, that should cause you to continue to pursue Christ, all right? Because that's what a revolutionary is all about, the kind that Jesus is looking for, one that has the pure, utter confidence in Christ. Doesn't mean that you can't have doubts here and there, I'm not saying that, but just know that with the clarity that God has given you, he gives you the confidence to be able to tackle all of those things that you can't see yet. He is leading you. He will never fail you. So keep pressing in, all right? Because with Christ, the end is just the beginning.